All right, let's um, have a word of prayer before we start. It's really nice to see so many of you here. Great. And um, I think it, it means spring must have sprung. <laughs> so let's have a word of prayer and um, quiet our hearts. Jesus, we are just so thankful for you. Thank, thankful, Lord, for all that you have done for us. We thank you for this day and for clean roads and um, no ice and things that probably would hinder us a little bit. But we thank you, Jesus, that we can be together. We ask that you would bless our fellowship, open our eyes, Lord, to the truth of the word of God. And we just ask that the Holy Spirit would be present and speak. We just ask in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so we're starting a, <clears throat> a new study and, <clears throat> excuse me, I would love to have you participate. And the outline is set up really for participation. And the, the parables are, they're fun, they're interesting, they make you think. And there is always a whole lot more there than what you expect. So um, we're going to... Marsha? Yes. Are, are the lesson plans in here? They should be right over. Anybody that did not get a lesson? I'm walking right past it. So just by way of introduction, um, we want to talk about the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. <clears throat> Jesus preaches the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Both terms are interchangeable. <clears throat> Matthew uses kingdom of heaven um, or kingdom of God because he is teaching a Jewish audience primarily. But other than that, they really refer to the same thing. And it has to do with the rule and reign of God on, in heaven and on earth. And we're taught to pray to the Lord, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so what Jesus does in the parables is to bring down the teachings, really throughout all of his teaching, the kingdom of heaven to earth. He represents the kingdom of heaven. We represent the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. God dwells within us. We represent, if we are walking with God, what heaven should look like to the world around us. Big assignment. So when Jesus taught, he preached the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Um, he called to his listeners to repent, to do an about change, about face, and change, because the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, I'm going to have you look up some verses with me, and um, we'll take those that I have listed there. They're short, but I just want you to get an idea of how important it is that we understand that the kingdom of heaven is the rule and reign of God on earth, and he rules and reigns through us. He dwells within us if we know him as Savior. And what people should be seeing then, this is a big assignment, what heaven looks like. We kind of miss it, don't we? <coughs> we miss the mark. 
oftentimes in displaying to the world what the Lord wants us to, to share with those around us. Our lives ought to be heavenly. And we should be heavenly minded, but not so heavenly minded we're not any earthly good. Okay? So let's look at the references I have there. Some of them are uh, almost repetitious, but Matthew 3, 2 and Mark 1, 14. Um, somebody want to read Matthew 3, 2 and somebody else take Mark 1, 14 and, and just read it out when you find it? And say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And that is Mark 1, 14? Matthew, Matthew, Matthew 3, 2. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Make an about change. In your life, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Okay? Um, Mark 1.14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The good news is that the kingdom of heaven is near. Maybe I should have had two verses down there. I'm not sure. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Yeah. Repent and believe the good news. Same, same message. The kingdom of God is near, and it's near as he is. He is near. It is among you. It is at hand. Luke 4.43. And then we'll go through those. Luke 4.43, Luke 10.9, and so on. Luke 4.43 says, but <clears throat> Jesus speaking again. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. All right. I was sent to proclaim the kingdom of God, and I must go and present it to the other towns also. This is the message of Jesus. He came to earth to present to us the message of heaven and the kingdom of God. He preached that. That is why he was sent, so we would know. How about um, Luke 10, 9? Heal the sick who are there and, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. All right. The kingdom of God has come near to you in the person of Jesus Christ. Here he is revealing to us and to those around him the kingdom of God. This is what it is like. Luke 17, 20. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God is not coming with the signs to be observed. Okay, and then I think it says the kingdom of God is within you. Does, in does, your midst. Verse the 21. kingdom of God is in your midst. It's within you. So not within the midst of or within those who do not know him, but it was within the midst of those who believed on Jesus Christ. And then um, John 18, 36. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. Okay. My kingdom is not of this world, but my kingdom is from another place. I'm from heaven. I am pro proclaiming to you a heavenly kingdom and a life that should be lived as the kingdom of God um, needs to be represented. The message of the gospel is the message of the kingdom of God. And Jesus came to introduce it to a world that 
had all different ideas about what the kingdom of God looked like. Israel itself was confused about the kingdom of God. They thought and were God's chosen people, but they, and they preached and taught the kingdom of God, but their lives did not display it in any way. So when Jesus came, everything he taught rubbed up against them in the wrong way. Remember when we taught the Beatitudes and we um, took the Sermon on the Mount? That was the message of the kingdom of God and particularly there to the Jewish people. And they had no idea what Jesus was talking about. It was foreign to them, and they were angered by his messages. <clears throat> and so their idea of the kingdom of God had been portrayed to them incorrectly by the religious leaders that they followed. <clears throat> so the kingdom of God is now, it's in two ways. It's now, it's present among us, and it is not yet. <laughs> So in what way is the kingdom of God both now and not yet? Is the kingdom of God now? Yes. Within us. Not yet in what way? Not yet because it will come in its fullness when Jesus comes back. But we are now the kingdom of God. And what we present to the world needs to be what God looks like, what heaven looks like, what heavenly living looks like. How foreign. When you think of us living in our world today, <clears throat> we need to be proclaiming the rule and reign of God in our lives so that we make a mark in this world that's so terribly messed up. Now, the world Jesus came to was also messed up. Didn't really know him, didn't recognize him, didn't anything about him. They had their own views, just like our world does. And he came unto his own, and his own what? Received him not. Didn't honor him, didn't love him, didn't recognize him. The light was in the world, but the world did not comprehend the light. Mm -hmm. <coughs> And so what Jesus does is calls us then to live like he lived in a world that's darkened by sin. Now, in our world today, it needs a light. We need a light in this dirty old world. And we need to ask God to use these stories to help us to understand what that needs to be. Now, Jesus used parables in his teaching. A parable is what? How would you define a parable? Story. It, it is a story. What? An earthly story with a godliness. Amen. That's what it is. It's a, it's a story using earthly illustrations. And you'll see that even in today's lesson. How Jesus takes the things around us that are familiar to us and uses them to teach a lesson that describes how heaven should look like. Now, the rabbis used um, parables also, so the religious leaders were familiar with that method of teaching. And it still is one of the most familiar methods of teaching, telling stories. I remember, um, you know, teaching metaphors and similes and all of those technical terms when you teach English. A parable is a method of taking a simile or a metaphor and presenting it. The kingdom of heaven is like. And we're going to see some interesting ones today. 
So um, I have on your outlines, I've got the parables printed, but I think also I would like you to turn in your Bibles to them at the same time as we discuss them. I, I, the one is at the bottom of the first page, and I wish it was at the top of the second page because that's what we'll, we'll be referring to. But I need you to turn to Matthew 13, and we'll begin with two short parables about the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> So, Matthew 13, 44 through 46. And this is two short parables, okay? He says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought the field. Then he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one, one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Two nice little parables written in about three sentences total. And the story it illustrates, or the truth it illustrates, is a grand, <coughs> grand illustration. Okay, so we're going to take some time and, and just talk about it. And on your outlines, on page two, I want you to take, take these parables apart. That's why I need you to have your Bibles open so you can look back at what we just read. The two stories are told together, so we, we want to keep them together. And they describe, really, the value of the kingdom of heaven, but in two different ways. So let's take a look at it. I want to give you a moment to just look at the questions there on your own. Uh, think about how you might answer them. And then I want to have a lot of participation as we think through these. as we talk and, and um, kind of record your thoughts as we go along. But let's just fill in the very first part of that under the hidden treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like what in this parable? A treasure hidden in a field. Think about it. And then we want to look at this. In this parable, a man finds a treasure... What details does he leave out? What details does he include? Look at that statement. How do you find it? How do you find it? What, what, what was it? What is it? Why is he in the field? Why is he in a field? <laughs> Who is he? You see? Interesting, isn't it? But that treasure is like or the kingdom of heaven is like treasure in a field. So he finds the treasure, but we don't know who, what much, much about it at all. It doesn't tell us who the man is. It doesn't tell us why he dug it up. 
what he found, why he buried it again. So we need to find that out. Any ideas? Yes, Shirley. Well, he found it. Then why did he have to sell everything he had to buy it? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. <laughs> and what did he find? He found why did he reveal what he found to the owner when he bought it? Right. <laughs> that's right. Was he looking for a treasure to begin with, or was no. he just there looking? He stumbled on it. That's what we're going to find out. He did. He just stumbled upon the treasure. Okay? So, <laughs> let's talk about this a little bit. So, what do you think motivated the man to buy the field? He saw something of value. Why would he hide it? And then buy the field. He didn't want anybody else to have it. He didn't want anybody else to have it or know what it was. There's another thing, too. We'll talk about that in a minute. Is he greedy? Maybe. Maybe the treasure was within the whole field. Maybe it encompassed the whole. Whatever it was, it was worth everything he had. It was worth everything he had. So I want you to think about this. I'm going to talk about the meaning of things in just a minute. But how is it possible that this treasure is like the kingdom of heaven? Can you explain the parable? I think the treasure is the Bible or the word of God, and the pearl is the wisdom that we're all looking for, but we can only find it in the Bible and I believe. Okay. We're going to talk about the pearl separately, but that's okay. And that's not a bad description of what you found. <clears throat> so we want to look at this treasure that is like the kingdom of heaven. And so we need to say a man basically found a treasure in a field. We're not told who the man is. Basically, he stumbles across it. And he could be any man. So the mystery becomes, why did he, after finding the treasure, bury it again? And why did he buy the whole field? So <clears throat> let me just give you some things that um, I've thought of here. When he found the treasure and hid it, the treasure in the field needed to be together for some reason. The field and the treasure were valuable in the whole of it. The field is the place where the treasure is found, and the field itself may be a part of that treasure. But whatever took place here, the treasure could not be separated from the field. It would have to be mined, it would have to be understood, it would have to be examined little by little, and its value was represented by the whole of it. Now, I want you to think about finding the kingdom of heaven. When you find it, how do you relate to it? And what is it worth? Is it a treasure when you find the kingdom of heaven? If you just stumbled across it, what would you want to do with it? You want to keep it, right? 
But the kingdom of heaven is more than just one treasure. Salvation is more than just Jesus. It is Jesus and all of the kingdom of heaven that he represents. It is salvation. It is righteousness. It is sanctification. It is all part and parcel of the whole. And it all belongs together. And that treasure that's in the field is something that the man has to grow with and mine and learn about. And he needs the field. The kingdom of heaven is where Christ is. We learn about Jesus Christ. And how long has it been that you've been learning about Jesus and different facets of the treasure that he is? All of your lifetime. The kingdom of heaven is a treasure in a field. And it takes us owning that whole field to begin to understand that treasure. And we never will know it all. It takes time, patience, education, mining. And the facets of that treasure are much greater than a small treasure that the man found and could bury again. The kingdom of heaven is great. The life of Jesus transcends just one aspect of the kingdom of heaven, takes in the whole, and to understand it all, we need to have the whole of it. So let me just read to you what I've written here. This man who stumbles across a treasure in a field is like a man who stumbles upon Christ on his way through life. And he sees the worth of Christ. He sees salvation from death. He sees uh, a life that needs to be changed. He sees relief from sin, deliverance from sin, deliverance from trouble. He sees healing. He sees all that he needs. And at first, it's his little secret. And he finds Christ. And that's what he knows. He doesn't know much more. We just went through that in the book of Exodus. The people had no idea who God was. They didn't know much more about him than that he was their God. But was he a treasure? Was the kingdom that he revealed to them worth much more than just getting out of Egypt? He went on and on. And each step of the way, God was with Moses and the Israelites. He fed them manna from heaven. He fed them, gave them water from a rock. He gave them victory over their enemies. And all of that is encompassed in the whole. So the treasure and the field together were all of one. Its place, the field was part of the treasure, but the treasure could not be separated from the whole. Its setting would have to be mined, understood, examined, but its value was represented by the whole of it. Because when you look at that statement, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure where? In a field. The whole of salvation is the kingdom of heaven. Does that make sense? Questions?
kingdom of heaven. Yes, Johnny. I'm still confused about the hiding part of it. Because um, when I read that, you know, when I read that as a Christian, I always think of it differently. Is what? I always think of it so differently, like the treasure is knowing God, mm -hmm. knowing Jesus. That's but Jesus, Jesus is just telling a story about a person, and it's a it's a person without a name. It's an anybody. Yeah, it stumbles on the treasure, and I stumbled onto Jesus. Mm -hmm. I wasn't looking for him. Right, you stumbled but onto the treasure. I was because the Holy Spirit <laughs> was drawing me. It doesn't say anything here about. Um, <clears throat> about the man not being thrilled that he found the treasure. Obviously he was, he bought the field. I'm, I'm drawn to the, the statement that he sold all he had to, to have it. And, and when you think about you know, my own conversion story, how my family was just so upset, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I knew that what I had found was of so much value that it was worth sticking with it mm -hmm. in spite of what other people were saying and thinking. And that's exactly what this little sentence is about, that what you found was worth more than anything else to the point that you were willing to give your all. Yes. So Go ahead, Johnny. my problem comes with the hiding part of it because I didn't want to hide any of it. Well, the story, the, the next story goes on about a man who does not, who buys the whole. Let's just look at, because what we have here, and this is the key to these two parables. You have one about a man who stumbles on it, doesn't know what it is or what it's worth. Now the second guy, tell me how he's different from the first guy. Look at it. He was, searching. he was out looking for pearls. He knew pearls. He had some knowledge before he went into this. It's a whole different setting. So what Jesus is showing you here is you're not all the same. You're going to come at this from a different point of view. And the man that's looking for the pearl is not like the man that stumbled across the, the treasure in the field. The man who finds it um, and looks for the, the, the man with the pearl. It says, um, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. So he knows value. Mm -hmm. He's educated. See, you have to think about this. You have two different people, two different classes. And Jesus is talking to the whole crowd. Yes. So I have a problem with the hiding it too. But is it that it doesn't end there? We don't know what happens That's after right. he bought the field. Or That's exactly right. Okay. And then, and then he spread the news. Mm -hmm. Perhaps we'll see. you can't. That's you. Yeah, don't look ahead to what happened after he bought the field. Jesus never tells us that. Oh, All he tells God. us is that the treasure is worth so much that he gave everything he had to buy it. Mm -hmm. The kingdom of heaven will cost you everything. That's what this is about. So now we have a different man and a different kind of man. Yes, Linda. I wanted to say to me that it also represents. The man sold everything he had. And so to me, yeah. it's like we also, when we accept Christ, we have to surrender everything yep. to him. Yeah. Yep. Well, now it makes sense to me. <laughs> right. Because you, you see. You know what? A little light bulb went on. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember when I first did accept Christ, 
there were some people I was afraid to say mm -hmm. it to, or I wasn't afraid of how they'd react, but I knew I had to tell them anyway. Mm -hmm. And one example was my aunt and growing up in the Catholic Church. And I walked into her kitchen and she said, Johnny Lee, what has happened to you? And she knew the spirit. I didn't know she was a Christian. I just knew she was a great lady. You know, and she knew before I could, and then it was just like, oh man. That's right. I can tell her. So keep in mind then, everybody's different. And Jesus tells these parables together for that reason. A man who stumbles on the on the treasure, but he finds the treasure being so valuable, he gives up everything he has. The, the pearl merchant knows what he's looking for. He knows pearls. Okay? He's like a merchant looking for a pearl. And he, when he found one of great value, went away and sold everything he has and bought it. Different kind of person, educated. Someone maybe who was even a, a Pharisee or a scribe or someone who had an idea of what the kingdom of heaven was like and maybe was searching to find out what, what, what he needed to know. And this merchant finds the pearl and gives up everything he has to buy the pearl of great price. So let's look at this um, just very briefly. The kingdom of heaven and the second one is like a merchant looking for pearls. Um, what is the same about both stories? Something of value. Both of them find something that is worth their entire life savings. And the interpretation of that parable, how would you interpret it? Interpret the second parable. He was a man that... He was searching. Was searching. He was a man that recognized value. He had some background. He really represents a learned man. He was a merchant in his field looking for what he knew would be good for him. So commentators suggest that maybe he was a Pharisee, maybe someone like Nicodemus who was searching for Jesus and found what he was looking for in him. You see the picture? Um, he's looking for, um, here's what I have. He's like a religious leader of Jesus' day who searched endlessly for wisdom, learning, or position. And in their quest, they find that the treasure they are searching for is found only in Christ. And for them to give up everything was a huge, huge step. For someone like Nicodemus to embrace Jesus would have been a huge cost to him. So the message of both of these parables is what? The basic message, after we've gone all around here, the basic message is what? What is Jesus teaching us about the kingdom of heaven? And it's more valuable than anything else in the whole world. More valuable than anything that we could possibly ask or think, or own. Sandy. And it can be found. And it can be found. In fact, you can stumble across it without even knowing what you're looking for. And here's Jesus. Okay? So the cost to each was that they sold all that they had. 
Now, I want to go on from there to a parable that's very different but connected. So if you'll turn over to Luke 13 or Luke 12, 13. I have this printed on the outline, but I want to I want to read it um, so that we have a cohesive idea of what it's about. Matthew 12, starting with verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, and he was teaching a crowd of people, his disciples probably in front, because that would be what he would generally start telling them a story, and the crowds would gather. So someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, Jesus was talking about forgiveness up above and, and about the rulers and authorities and so on. And out of that crowd comes this strange question. Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now let's look at what Jesus does with that statement. Jesus replies, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Hey, guy, that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm on a different page in my outline. The man asked him a question totally unrelated to anything that really has to do with God. That's where the man is. He's thinking instead of all of the money that his brother got at his father's death and he didn't get half of it. So Jesus said, and another thing is that Jesus didn't normally respond to, to questions that had to do with dealings of civil law, really. He came to preach the gospel. So Jesus said, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Connect that with what we just read. A man's life does not consist in what they own. And these two men, the man out in the field and man looking for the pearl, really give, give up all that they owned for the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus continues that theme in here. He says, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So, verse 16, and he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, self, <laughs> you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take, take, take life easy. <clears throat> Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Now we're going to go on from there, but let's stop at that point And let's just take a look at this man. Because unlike the two parables we just looked at, we have a lot of information that we can 
glean about this guy. So <clears throat> I want you, first of all, on your outlines, look at that parable. It's printed right above. And circle all the personal first-person pronouns, the I, me's, my's that you can find. We're going to talk about this guy. So what are you finding out about him? Self-centered. <laughs> he likes himself, doesn't he? The center of his universe is him. <laughs> so with whom did he discuss his dilemma? Just self, I have a problem. So when God addressed the man in the story, what issue did God address? Where it says, and God said to him, calls him a fool, and the issue that he discusses is what? He's only thought of himself. That he only thinks of himself, and? He doesn't have his values in the right place. You know, Jesus gives him a, a very clear warning. He says, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. And then, who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. See how the message of the first two is carrying over to this one? The first two found the treasure and sold all that they had. This man isn't even on the beginning page of Jesus' book, okay? He's only thinking of himself and his barns and his crops and his, his brother's money. But God says, you fool, your life is going to be demanded of you, and then what are you going to do? Who's going to get all the things that you have? Possessions were very important to this man, so the heart of this message to the rich fool is what from Jesus? Under verse 21, the heart of the message. What is Jesus saying to this guy? This is the heart of all of these messages, really. Richness and value is in God. Make sure that your values are centered in God and the kingdom of God before you think about anything else. Because you have no control over any part of your life. God alone has control. And then, while you're worrying about all of these things that you need and that you think that you want, God says, this very night, your life is going to be demanded of you. And then, who's going to get what you have? It matters not if you have to face God in the next hour. So, <clears throat> Which, yes. In light of the verse um, to not store up treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven, mm -hmm. 
can't be destroyed. Matthew, um, I think it's six. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot corrupt and thieves cannot break through and steal. The kingdom of heaven is worth more than anything else on earth. That's the message of these parables. Now, Marsha, there's also a warning here. Yeah. You know, pay attention. This is important. That, that's this, the this warning. Be your last day. This yeah, is, this might be your last day. Pay attention. What Jesus' message throughout Scripture is that the kingdom of heaven will cost you everything. He demands your life. That's what he asked for. Your life for mine. He gives you all of himself, and then he begins to work within you so that you begin to yield, little by little, the life that he offers you, the rest of the treasures of heaven. You come to God, like we talked about with, with the Exodus, how the Egyptians had them in slavery, and they were taken out of slavery and had such relief at that, but did not know what the kingdom of heaven was going to be like for them at all. And so they struggled against God. And we do that sometimes too. I want you to see um, how the Apostle Paul um, dealt with this and what he says about it. Would you turn to Philippians 3? Starting in verse 7. It says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Let me go on and read um, verses 20 and 21 in that same chapter. For our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they might be like his glorious body. What these verses are saying to us is that the kingdom of heaven is worth everything. And that in the end, everything that God promises us will be ours. Our bodies will be transformed. All of the riches of the glories of God will be revealed to us. And in this world, we're not to have our minds on the things of this world. We're to count them but loss like Paul did. And allow Jesus Christ to be everything to us. These are tough sayings. It's real easy to stand up here and say we should do all of this. It's another thing to surrender it all. Some of us are like that rich man building barns. 
because we think we need more barns. Or we need more this or more that. But God says to us, instead, examine yourself. This night might be the last night you have on earth. And you need to, to prepare for that, that the kingdom of heaven will cost you everything. That's what the Apostle Paul says. I want you to give me your all. Now, he doesn't club us over the head. He isn't ever cruel about it. But he desires our whole being committed solely to him. Let's go on from here. Back to Luke. And I want to take you through the rest of that chapter because what Jesus does is he uses this as an extension of his parable. This is really familiar territory for us. And we read this a lot of times and don't think about it. Let's see. We are at... I want to go from Luke 12, starting in verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Now this is some of the richness in the field. Okay? Go back to that first man that found the treasure. And that field represents the whole of it. And here's Jesus teaching, and he's saying the same thing to us. I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. And I will tell you, with the way inflation is going, people are worried mm -hmm. about money, mm -hmm. about food, about where they're going to buy their next um, tank of gasoline or propane. And you know what? It's really hard to follow these instructions. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think about them. Listen, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. And then he says, now look, folks, this is how I want you to live. Not so easy, but listen to it. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than the birds. Now, I love the birds. I'm a bird watcher. And I feed the birds. <laughs> but I don't do that and I won't do that when I don't have money to buy bird food, and those birds are going to get along just fine without me. <laughs> I intrude on their lives, actually. <laughs> what I'm doing for them is not helping them. I'm making them dependent on me. <laughs> but God feeds those birds. So consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are, are you than they? Who of you, by worrying, <clears throat> can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do, they do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is there today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Hmm. 
the riches in that field that the man discovered, all part and parcel of the provision of God. The pearl that was worth more than anything else contained all of the riches that God had to offer. And so God tells us, why do we worry about all of these things? Um, <clears throat> go down to verse 20, 29. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you, to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will be that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So, <clears throat> let's just look at some of the questions I have on the outline, and, and we'll go over these really quickly. But what God does in this, and what Jesus does through the parable, is He directs His listeners to focus. Not on earthly things, but are on his on his larger message. Okay? So according to Jesus in verses 22 through 26, what are the earthly concerns that tend to feel to fill the lives of all of us? What we eat? What else? Worries. Worry. Anxiety. What we eat, what we drink, what we wear, what we do. All of the things of daily living that get into our lives and clutter our, our contact with God. Do the cares of daily life distract you from God? What kind of cares? What are you... What are you caring about, concerned about, that distract you? And how do they distract you? What distracts you in your life? Yes? Sometimes I think about what I should, like today I'm going shopping after this. What do I need to get? Because so, my husband and I, we're preppers, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, but like the rich man that was thinking about his stores and how he's going to do this and how he's going to do that, like, I can have a plan. We can have a plan, mm -hmm. but who's? But our plan isn't going to take care of us. God is. <laughs> God doesn't ask you not to plan. He just wants to be included in it. He'll give you a plan. He doesn't want you not to have things. He just wants to be included in what you need, so that you aren't just going out and. Buying, 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 because it's nice to do. He wants us to trust in Him, not right. in our planning or our stuff. See, we have a million distractions that keep us from God. I mean, it's really easy to be distracted from studying the Word of God, for being involved in things in ministry. Even from coming to church, it's real easy to be distracted 
from things of the Lord. And Satan loves to do it with the common things because those common things are so earthly and we need them. We need food. We need clothing. We want to look like Solomon in all his glory. <laughs> you see? And so sometimes those things distract us. And they're the things that we don't think distract us because we're so comfortable. I, I think that in these next months, we're going to be tested in ways we maybe haven't been before and we need to be ready for how God wants to change our thought patterns and how he wants to lead us. Because <clears throat> the world is changing every way. Yes. And what's really bothering me is all these people in, in Ukraine that are, we don't know if they're Christians or not, That's right. they're being destroyed. And, you know, what hope do they have? I know. understand that there's some wonderful mission we're going on in all these surrounding mm -hmm. countries right now. Mm -hmm. But um, we need to, to be doing what we can to help. Support. Praying, too. Yep. Mm -hmm. and, and interceding and giving, going, whatever God calls us to do. God, God does not say we don't need these things. He doesn't want us to, you know, go around um, having needs. But what He's saying here is God will provide our needs. We need to understand that He can be the focus that we trust in. All right. Um, in verses twenty-seven through thirty-one, and I just want to talk about this a little. Jesus presents an argument that moves from lesser to greater, and His theme is how much more. Mm -hmm. Will God supply our needs as we place our faith in him? So in these verses, how does Jesus use earth as a visual aid to illustrate how God will graciously supply our needs? It's kind of an obvious, but how does God use things that we know well? This is part of parable teaching to illustrate how God takes care of us. What does he use? He uses the birds of the air. uses the birds of the air. He uses the flowers of the field. He uses the grass. He uses the things that we live with day by day and says, listen, don't get all wrapped up and bent out of shape. I know how to take care of you. Now again, easy to say. And you have to actually choose and not do what the pagans do to run after all those things. And that's the other dichotomy that, that God is teaching here, Jesus is teaching. Don't run after all those things like the pagans do. Don't make them the focus point of your life. Make me the focus point. Okay? And then, um, let's see what we have here. In verses 31 through 34, God talk, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God and, and how we are to seek the kingdom, which is invisible. The kingdom of God is invisible. We are supposed to seek it, and the effects will be seen in the physical. Think about that for a minute. Seek the kingdom of God, which you cannot see with your whole heart, Spend all that you have to acquire it. And the effects of that will be seen on earth. 
How does that happen? Seek first the kingdom of God. We sing the song, we quote the verse. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto us. How does that happen? We seek invisible and we get tangible. How does that happen? Think about it. I think it changes how we see things. It changes how we see things, but God also takes that invisible as we pray and makes those prayers happen in our lives and gives you tangible answers. Have you ever had a tangible answer from God for something you asked for? Mm -hmm. Something physical from the kingdom? You should say yes. Mm -hmm. Does he clothe you? Does he keep you working? Does he give you jobs? Does he provide for you? Michelle told us some stories last week or the last time we met about how God provided for them during the pandemic. Tangible, right, Michelle? The thing is, we all say it. We all say, can you imagine your whatever situation you're in, can I imagine not having my faith? I cannot imagine not having my right. faith. So to say it's worth everything to me, it really is. It's worth everything. And I think how Jesus is, don't you ever just think about how smart Jesus is? <laughs> like getting to the heart of, let's think about our possessions when we're dead. It's not important. And he's saying, sell everything and I will provide for you. Right. You know, like, don't worry. I know I'm asking you a big ask. <laughs> but therefore, do not worry, because I got you, you know? So I just, That's incredible it. teacher. <laughs> he, he is an incredible teacher. But that is the truth that he's teaching here. Seek the kingdom, which is something you cannot see. And the riches of the kingdom will enter your life in a tangible way. Can you, I bet if you think for a moment, every one of you can think of how God moved from the invisible into your life in the visible, mm -hmm. in the material. Can I tell my washer and dryer story? Amen. <laughs> <laughs> so I was a single mom, didn't have a lot of money, was in a yucky apartment, wanted to live somewhere a little bit nicer, and it was the the bottom floor of a split level duplex. The people that owned the home lived upstairs. I went and looked at it, I loved it, except it didn't have a washer and dryer. And I could not afford to buy a washer and dryer. So I prayed to God and I said, if you want me to have this apartment, the owners will agree to provide a washer and dryer. So I talked to the owners about it. He said he'd look into it. In the meantime, I get on the phone and I start calling on my prayer warriors. The second woman I called said, Shalane, I have a washer and dryer in my garage. I've been waiting to give away to somebody. <laughs> and you know what? That happens, that happens all the time. It does. And I just felt so blessed that God was saying, I want you to have this nicer apartment. Here you go. He does. I can tell you stories that I have to tell you this. When I sold real estate, I I had never done it before, and I always felt like I was the least likely person in the whole world to do it. And I did it in Milwaukee, in a highly competitive market, where you had to be Miss Fashion Plate. Well, I'm not. I'm just me. So I I 
made a, a commitment to the Lord to continue teaching um, Bible studies down there, and I was teaching it um, in restaurants and in places that were not always in churches, and I had lovely big classes, and I got busy, and I continued to teach, and I had pressure from my, my managers to put all of that away because I wasn't giving them enough time. Well, between me and the Lord, that was what I had chosen to do. And I was never without listings. I never thought one time that I ever received a listing other than that the Lord brought people out of the woodwork and buyers out of God only knew where because I refused to advertise and post my picture on TV and in the newspapers. And down there when I was doing it, that was the big thing. The whole Sunday section, you could... And you know what? I made the big club without any publicity other than God. <laughs> the invisible God gave me tangible results. And I couldn't believe it, and no one else could either. And I got in trouble with my company because I didn't do what they would have done. The advertising is all about me. And that's why I couldn't do it. It was all about this person, this great person, that was so good that you couldn't bear not to have her for your agent. <laughs> and I couldn't do that, so I didn't. But you know what? The Lord blessed me like I cannot tell you. <laughs> and when I came up here, I kind of did, did the same thing, and it was great. But it was all because of God. And you see, the kingdom of heaven is meant to be displayed here on earth. The stories about wash machines and Lynn Pruitt's green beans is all a gift from God. And Michelle's money that came from the Lord. The intangible God puts tangible things in our midst so that he can display his kingdom and his riches through us. But the kingdom of God demands commitment. Yes? Um, I think there's comfort in, in verse 30 here. It says, um, well, starting with 29, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink, not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. So if we fall back, he gives us that grace. You know, he, he does. He lets us know it's all right. It's all right. You know, we're just going to start over. Or uh, I know that you need that because that's that's what society has told you. Yep. I like that. I mean, he knows I, we need that, and it's okay. But you know, let's. And God is always gracious. Because these things, finding the treasures of heaven, take time. And the work of God within us takes time. That's why that treasure in that field has to be mined. It has to be worked on. So that the kingdom of God can come in God's own way into our lives. No one's going to be the same as the other. That's why we have those two men. One is a successful merchant. One is somebody maybe that just wasn't even looking for Jesus and found him. 
But the same God that works in the, the lowly works in the high-minded to bring them to him. And the key to all of this is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, before we close, <clears throat> at the bottom of page four, I've got to pick a title. I want you to pick a title and give us a quick answer of why you picked that title. Yes, Johnny. I pick number two. Everything we have for everything Jesus is. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of goes along with what Michelle said, you know. Um, and it's like when you pick Jesus, you know, the desires of your heart change because he gives you a new heart. And, um, and what you yield to him, he fills up with himself. Always. Mm -hmm. I don't miss anything that I thought I was giving up for him. Don't miss anything. I don't miss it. Yeah. Okay, anybody else? What would you what'd you pick for the title? Gotta do it. It's kind of like the bottom one, partly because in our democracy it sort of goes against our brain to be a subject. Mm -hmm. Can I be a tourist in the kingdom of God? Can't just walk through sampling the goods. Yes. I, I go along with that one and, and I wrote down a quote from Michelle during the Beatitudes. We're called to be a kingdom people, not rulers of the kingdom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Can't be a tourist in the kingdom of God. You must be a subject that God rules within us. Anybody else? I also would be the last one that can't be a tourist because you, you won't, if you're trying to be a tourist, you won't get it. You're not really there. Right. You go from one thing to the other to try to find the satisfaction you look for. And it's all there. Anything else before we close? Yes. So, some people like myself think, well, what about Christians that are being persecuted and that are suffering and not having that physical movement? But in those instances, if you listen to like interviews after with these people, they report having such spiritual peace mm -hmm. that one way or another, God's meeting. Meeting their needs. Because God knows the need. And if you read through Paul's writing, think about how Paul suffered. Actually, and was tortured and beaten and starved. And he has a whole list of things that he went through when he was food was taken away from him. And he didn't have food. He didn't have clothing. He didn't have people around him. And he's a people person. And all of that, but God knew his need, and God knew what he needed. And that's the other half of this, that God knows what you really need. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of the things that you need, tangible and intangible, he'll provide. Okay, let's close with prayer. Um, 
Joel Pearson, he went into the kingdom. Mm -hmm. this, Who was it? Joel Pearson. Okay. And um, he's a family friend. Okay. So we're really happy <laughs> that he's in the kingdom. But the sorrowing here. Mm -hmm. His wife is Shelly and son Kenny and his other son Andy and um he's really like family to mm -hmm. the Lynn's um like another brother brother yeah. father yeah mm -hmm. Joel Pearson yes mm -hmm. they live just down key so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that just happened this morning yeah Joel Pearson passed away this morning. Oh, yeah. Illness or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, cancer. Cancer. Okay. He lived on highway. He lived on highway P next to my parents in his okay. probably great grandmother, um, Ruth Borg's home. Okay. Eunice, um, his. Parents were Ed and Uni Pearson. Yep. I know him. I grew up with him. <clears throat> yeah, he's wow. having a good time right now. So, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Huh. Wow. Well, let's go to prayer. Let's close with that. Lord, we thank you that you are our God. We thank you, Lord, that Joel can be with you in heaven. We thank you, Lord, that we can know that certainty in our hearts that if we have you as our Savior, we will be with you. We, Lord, pray for comfort for the family. We pray for comfort for the Lynn's. We ask, O oh Lord, your grace be upon them. We thank you, Lord, for these things that we talked about this morning. Forgive us, Lord, for not always considering that heavenly things are a treasure beyond measure. And we ask you, Lord, to impress those truths upon our heart so that we begin to see the tangible and the intangible that is provided in you. We, great, we greatly praise you, Lord. We thank you for being our Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.